Folks, uh, a good morning to you. Please have your Bibles open there at Luke chapter 8. Even if that passage feels very familiar, I hope one or two things at least that I'm pointing out um, will, will be of interest to you as we're in the passage together. So Luke chapter 8. Uh, I'm conscious this morning that a good number of people are probably already away on their holidays. I, I can see that when I'm at the front here. But I'm conscious too that we have uh, people visiting with us. So if you're a guest with us this morning, uh, you're very, very welcome. It's great to see you. Just before we come to look at this part of God's Word, one announcement that I'd like to share very quickly. Uh, first of all, to thank you for uh, participating a few weeks ago, uh, so many of you, in our election of a new committee. We've done a lot of electing this year, so we have a bit of election fatigue, but it's, it's all done. We have, I'm delighted to say, a new committee already up and running after that election. So I thought I'd quickly share the names of our new committee members with you. So they are Barclay Bellinger, David Boyd, Roddy Boyd, Paddy Brow, Andrew Chung, Hannah Dunn, Volker Ebbinghaus, Gregor Fulton, Lorna Hamilton, Paul Hattie, Kevin Heywood, Morris Henry, Adrian Lester, John McGill, David McCready, Janine McGinty, George Mullen, Timmy Mullen, Keith Noble, Nigel Purvis, Eddie Robinson, John Roddy, Dean Russell, Tom Swatman, Delwyn Wark, and Johnny Watts. Perhaps you'd give them a quick round of applause to thank them for accepting this invitation and nomination. I hear very good things from the Congregational Committee these days. The, the folks are glad to, to be taking up that role and excited about the work that God is calling them to there. So do keep them in your prayers as they bring so much to the life of our church. So let me begin, um, as we come to look here at Luke chapter 8, let me begin with a question. Um, is the preaching here at Hamilton Road any good? You're, you're laughing, but I, I really want you to, it's more like a rhetorical question, so don't feel you have to answer. It might be awkward if you thought it was rubbish. But it's a, it's a question I want, I want you to be thinking about. Is the preaching here any good? It's a question we, we probably are asking ourselves quite regularly. So when, when you leave a, a service where I've preached or one of the others on the team or a, a visiting speaker has preached, uh, you're evaluating the preaching. It's quite natural. Uh, I'm going to guess that if, if I was able to listen in at Sunday lunchtime uh, at the conversations around the dinner tables, at least occasionally, uh, it would turn to the, the quality of the preaching. So, so it's a question we're constantly thinking about. Is the preaching here at Hamilton Road any good? I think it's a good question. And we will come back to it a little bit later on. But not before we come for a few minutes to listen to the master preacher himself. We've, we've heard some of his preaching here in Luke chapter 8. So folks were coming from all directions. Uh, it I'm trying to think of what it might have looked like. I'm, I'm thinking of Glastonbury, where people in their thousands converge uh, into a big open space. Some people came alone. Some came in groups. Husbands brought their wives. Mums brought their children. People brought their mates. 
It, it seems like they were bringing whole towns with them if we look at Luke's account. Verse 4, he says that a huge crowd was coming to Jesus from town after town. You see, they'd heard that he was a brilliant preacher, and, and they, wanted to, they wanted to hear him. They wanted to hang on his every word, his amazing wisdom, his profound words. But then something really quite strange happens. Instead of giving a gospel presentation to these thousands or delivering something that we would recognize as a sermon, Jesus tells a story. It's a, a bizarre, confusing riddle kind of a story. He calls it a parable. And the parable that Jesus tells here is the first of many that Luke is going to record for us in his gospel. So beginning this morning and throughout these uh, summer months, we're going to look at a number of these parables in a short series. But before we throw ourselves into this series, I want us to work out what, what's going on here. Why does Jesus choose to teach using parables? In verse 9, Luke tells us that even his closest friends, the disciples, didn't understand this first story when he told it to them. They asked him what his parable meant. And look at Jesus' explanation, verse 10. He explains why he's using parables. He says, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. We'll need to slow down for a second here. This is all a little bit counterintuitive. Do you see what Jesus says about why he's using parables? Jesus says he speaks in parables not to make it easier for people to understand, but to make it harder. Though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. We tend to think of Jesus' parables as nice wee stories full of everyday illustrations, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's what, that's what I was brought up with. We imagine that Jesus told parables to help simple people understand what he was talking about. Nope. Jesus said, the result of my using parables is that some people won't see and some people won't understand and won't get it. As I say, this is all very counterintuitive. Why is Jesus making it more difficult rather than less difficult for people to understand him? Well, it's to do with how Jesus thought of his ministry and how he thought of the response of large crowds of people. You see, Jesus was extremely popular in these early days in his ministry. But he's not sucked in by that. The crowds aren't definitive for Jesus. Jesus wasn't convinced that these people were, they, they were physically with him, but he wasn't convinced that they were really with him. The truth is that Jesus didn't expect everyone who heard him to accept his preaching. Now, I find that really sobering. The living Son of God comes among us and he doesn't expect that people are going to take him seriously. He doesn't expect the majority of people to listen to him. Jesus does this by, by doing something that you and I might not at first understand, so I want to quickly explain it to you. He aligns himself with the greatest messenger that God's people ever had the greatest of the prophets, Isaiah. 
The mysterious words from verse 10, they're taken from the prophet Isaiah. Turn back with me quickly. Isaiah 6, page 691. 691. You might remember or recognize this as Isaiah's call narrative or the, the moment of his commissioning, as the NIV title puts it. In the opening verses of chapter 6, we read about how Isaiah experiences his very famous vision of God's glory filling the temple. Then, verse 8, he, he hears the voice of the Lord asking, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And no sooner has Isaiah answered, Here I am, send me, than the Lord speaks to him, and he warns him, This is what it's going to be like to be my messenger. Go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their eyes dull, their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. In Isaiah's day, the people had become blind and deaf to the word of God. At this point in their history, they were so far gone that God had abandoned them to their spiritual blindness and their deafness. And God warns his prophet, you're going to be preaching to people who will not listen. Whenever Jesus quotes Isaiah 6, he's telling us that he feels rather like Isaiah did. I'm preaching but the majority of you aren't listening. I'm preaching, but your hearts are hard. Sobering stuff, isn't it? Now we're beginning to see why Jesus resorts to teaching in parables. Judging by what he says in verse 10, he, he uses parables as some sort of a filter. Among the thousands who come out to see him for all the wrong reasons, he believes there are some people there who are coming with, with good motives, with a good heart. They're the tiny minority. He says they're those who have ears to hear. And Jesus seems to be saying that these parables are going to filter out those who aren't ready to be his disciples and bring in those who are. People with a hunger. People with an appetite. Jesus says, to you, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given. What Jesus is saying here, it's, it's hard to hear. But I, it seems to me it's entirely true. You don't get to grips with Jesus Christ or his message from a distance. You can't get to know the things of God without throwing yourself in, without committing yourself to them. That's, that's what another of the great prophets of God's people had taught. Jeremiah spoke God's word to the people of God in exile, and he said to them, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So God gives spiritual wisdom to those who long for it, those who hunger after him, those who search for him relentlessly. So my question today, are you hungry? I began this morning by asking you whether the preaching here at Hamilton Road is any good. And let me ask another question. If it were better 
would more people respond? If we take Jesus' teaching here to heart, we have to say that the answer is no, not necessarily. That's not the way it is. The success or failure of the seed in Jesus' story doesn't seem to depend on the sower's ability or his technique. On the contrary, the sower just seems to to throw his seed willy-nilly. He's almost wasteful. He's not being particularly careful about where it lands. The seed's just scattered. It seems from this story that it's not the sower's job to change one soil into another. Rather, says Jesus, the seed is going to reveal the, the fertility or the infertility of the soil. It's the quality of the soil, not the expertise of the sower that will determine the harvest. Folks, we, we may not like that particularly. It takes away one of our best excuses for rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you hear that preacher this morning? He was rubbish. He's not as good as X was. He's not as good as Y is. And he'll never be as good as Zeb. Friends, the truth is, if, if what Jesus is saying in this parable is true, then we have to accept that it's the soil, for the most part, that determines the outcome. Spiritual response doesn't lie in the gift of the teacher, but rather in the heart of the listener. Because that's true, and because even the best teacher in the world has to accept that there's going to be disappointment, Jesus gives us this parable to to explain why people fail to respond to the word of God. He, He locates each of his listeners in one of four different types of soil, each one responding differently to the word sown. So verse five, he tells us about hard soil. This is like people whose hearts are like hard soil. When they hear the word of God, it's, it's like a seed that, that falls in a path. It's, it's trampled underfoot or else birds come and eat it. The seed doesn't even begin to penetrate the soil. So we all have different reasons why when, when God's word comes to us, it bounces off. For some of us, it might be intellectual pride. He doesn't really expect me to take take that seriously, that old book, that teaching. Others have a fixed idea about our lifestyle. Oh, I know that there's stuff in the Bible that if I listen to it, I'd have to change how I live, and I'm not going to do that. It might be self-righteousness. We know that the Bible says that everyone's a sinner, and we say, well, yeah, everyone except me. Or maybe we're simply bored and indifferent to God's word. I've heard it all before. Same old, same old, same old. For many people in the crowd that day, when they heard Jesus' word, it bounced off them like water off a duck's back. Their hearts are Teflon-coated. Nothing sticks. Maybe they thought they were being clever or sophisticated, not sucked in by all this religious hype. But notice what Jesus identifies. Notice who Jesus identifies working behind the scenes. 
Verse 12, the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Jesus is convinced that Satan is at work when God's word is preached. He's working to discredit God's word, to distract us from even giving attention to it. Every time you hear the gospel preached, every time you read God's word, he is at work trying to distract you. He's at work now. Shall we decide, every one of us now, not to let him? Not to let him succeed? Tell me this morning, is your heart one of stone? impervious to the word of God, concrete and tarmac. In verse 6, Jesus tells us of those whose hearts are shallow soil. They're different. Whenever they hear God's word, it, it, it has an effect. The seed goes into the soil, it springs up, and, and actually they tend to grow very dramatically, these people. Because everything about their response to the word is visible. You can see it. What, what they're not doing is putting down roots. Because they're not wasting time putting down roots, before long, when the hot weather comes, as we had it a few weeks ago, the plant withers because it has no roots and no moisture. When our hearts are like shallow soil, Jesus tells us, verse 13, we're like people who receive the word with joy, but with no root. We believe for a while, but in a time of testing, we fall away. Folks, maybe you know people like that. Maybe you've been one of them. There was a time in your life when you heard the gospel, when you heard God's word, and you thought, this is the best thing I've ever heard. And for some time, you lived a life of dynamic discipleship. But after a while, your circumstances changed. The adrenaline subsided and you came off your high. Maybe you felt cheated. They told me that Christianity would make me feel happy. Well, I don't. They told me that Christianity would give me friends. Well, I, I still haven't got any. It must have been just a funny phase that I was going through, just a flash in the pan. I'm not going to be a Christian any longer. Tell me this morning, is your heart shallow soil? Has your engagement with Jesus Christ up to this point been simply superficial? Is it time you learned to put down roots? Our hearts can be like hard soil or they can be like shallow soil. Verse 7, Jesus tells us they can be like weedy soil. The seed that falls there grows all right, but there's weeds growing up with it. And the, the weeds choke the, the plant, the good plant. Verse 14, Jesus tells us he's talking about people who hear, but as they go in their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Jesus warns that there'll always be distracted disciples. Again, initial, their initial response again is enthusiastic, but unlike the people with the rocky ground, they, they don't jack in their discipleship altogether. 
They keep some sort of Christian identity. They don't fall away entirely. But as time goes by, Christ becomes less and less significant for them. In the marketplace of their hearts, rival interests distract them and, and take away their energies. It's the, the pervasive culture of materialism and worldliness. It, it saps them of, of their spiritual energy and their hope to love God. For a young person, it's maybe educational goals or sporting achievement or sexual attraction that's to blame for their loss of interest. For those of us in midlife, it's our financial pressures, it's our family responsibilities, it's our career ambitions. In old age, it's a preoccupation with our health or our garden or the grandchildren. Whatever stage of life we're at, there are dozens of these distractions. I find it sad how Jesus talks about the weedy ground. He talks about how we're choked. We have life, but we're choked. What weeds in your heart are choking the gospel life that God's planted in you. Is it time we did some weeding? I began this morning by asking you whether the preaching here at Hamilton Road's any good. I hope and pray that it is. I want us to be used uh, by God to, to bring his word to you. But this parable's asked a different question, hasn't it? Rather than asking, is the preaching any good? It's forced us to ask instead, is the listening any good? How well do we listen to God's word? Or more personally, how well do you and I listen to God's word? That's what Jesus is getting at in this parable. He's reminding us that not everyone who hears the word of God gets it. If you look down to verse 18, you'll see that he, Jesus warns us to consider carefully how you listen. Listen to what George Buttrick, an American preacher, says about the importance of hearing properly. Hearing is an important business. We assume that because the initiative is with the speaker, that the message controls the hearer. But the roles can be reversed. The hearer may control the message. An appeal, even the appeal of Jesus, may be frustrated by unreceptiveness. Let me move toward finishing this morning. We've thought about reasons why people fail to hear the word of God and respond to it. It's a depressing parable up to this point, but it's not over. There's a fourth type of soil. Jesus tells us about it in verse 8. It's so exciting. I'd love what Jesus says in this verse to be true of my life. When the seed of God's word falls on the right kind of soil, it penetrates a soft heart. It puts down deep roots. And since this soil is clear from choking distractions, the, the faith plant grows and it grows and it grows until it yields a hundred times more than was sown. Isn't that brilliant? 
a hundred times. Jesus couldn't be more full-blown and enthusiastic about what can happen in a person's life when they're open to the word of God. Huge crops of godly character and a fruitful ministry. After hearing a story like this, it's, it's very obvious, isn't it, how we're supposed to respond. We all want to be the good soil, right? But aren't we already the good soil? I mean, we're here, aren't we? I know you guys. A lot of you are here every week. We've shown up to listen to God's word. Let me point out something in the story that I hadn't really thought about before. Showing up and listening isn't enough. Each of the four people Jesus describes in this parable heard the word. Look again. We see it very clearly in his explanation. When he talks about the three types of soil with the poor response, he, he says, verse 12, he's talking about those who hear. Verse 13, the ones who receive the word with joy. Verse 14, those who hear. The seed has fallen on all of these soils. All these people have heard the word. The problem with the first three responses is that the isn't that the people haven't heard the word. The problem is the quality of their hearing. And that's why Jesus says, verse 8, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. It's an unusual turn of phrase, but Peterson translates it in the message. Are you listening to this? Really listening? So we do want to really listen. We want to be good soil, but how? Thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us in the dark. In the very last verse, verse 15, he tells us, how to be a good soil person. He talks about those with a noble and a good heart, and he tells us about how they live using three verbs, three things that any of us can do. Good soil people hear the word. They, they come to church week by week to hear the Bible read and, and taught. I, I want to encourage you at this point. There were times in the past when I visited Hamilton Road as a visiting preacher. And it was maybe true even of the early days when I came and, and preached among you. And I'm going to have to tell you this. I was confronted with a lot of folded arms and a lot of disengaged faces. I don't see that anymore. I see active body postures, I see bright eyes, and people ready to hear God's word. So I'm encouraged by that. I want to encourage you to keep coming, as well as encouraging you to keep coming and hearing God's word read and preached. I want to encourage you to think about how, how God's word's going to be active in your life between Sundays. Are you using a Bible reading plan or Bible reading notes or an app? If not, what about joining our book-by-book -book program here where we read a book of the Bible each month? Good soil people hear the word. Good soil people, says Jesus in verse 15, they retain the word. So they don't just read the word of God for a few minutes early in the morning so that they can forget about it for the rest of the day. 
They meditate on it. They chew on it all day long. Lord, what are you saying to me? How is it that you want me to live? One of the things I did when I first came here was to invite you to think about reading a psalm per day. After doing that myself for two years, so four cycles of reading the psalms, I stopped doing that a while ago. But I decided recently I wanted to go back to it. So I started yesterday, halfway through the year, 1st of July, and and I want to read psalms and proverbs between now and the end of 2023. So I started yesterday with Psalm 1. Couldn't have been better. Couldn't have been better. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But listen. Whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his long day and night. The psalmist talking about a good soil person. They meditate on God's word. They retain it. They mull it over. They wonder about it. It shapes their dreams. Lord, what kind of a life is it you're calling me to? What could be in me as your spirit continues to work? The psalmist continues with this picture of the good soil person. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Psalm 1, Luke 8, it's all the same. Good soil people, they hear the word, they retain the word, and they persevere in the word. So for a good soil person, the Bible isn't a fad It's not something they engage with for one hour per week when they're preparing a Bible study or for one week per year when they're on a short-term mission. For the good soil person, the word of God's become their story. It's become the script by which they live their lives. Over these last couple of years, I've introduced you to a hero of mine, uh, guy called John Ames. He's a fictional character in Marilyn Robinson's Gilead. This old congregationalist pastor is a man of the Bible. He's been reading it and preaching it all his life. So at one point, Lila, the young wife he's married in his old age, she comments on the place of the Bible in his life. She says the Bible was truer than life for him. So it was natural enough that his thinking would be taken from it. Don't be fooled by the gentle simplicity of of Robinson's writing. That's profound. The Bible was truer than life for him. Robinson's description evokes for me Moses' teaching about the Bible at the end of Deuteronomy. These are not idle words for John Ames. They are his life. Friends, I really must finish. I began this morning a long time ago now, granted. And I asked you a question. Is the preaching here at Hamilton Road any good? I hope that it is. And I pray often that it will improve. 
But Jesus has asked us a different question today. Is the listening here at Hamilton Road any good? I hope that it is. But let's pray together that it will be. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It really is the bread of life. Don't let us starve for lack of it. Lord, break open our hard hearts. Where we are shallow, bring your depth. Weed out our distractions. Lord, make us into good soil people, hearing the word, retaining it, persevering in it, yielding a crop 100 times more than what was sown. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, responding to God's word and praying the the prayer really that Jesus taught us. Let your kingdom come.